Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. This is your host, Dave Lewis, and today on the program, I am joined by Michelle Killebrew. And Michelle is the VP of Marketing uh, at PwC in the New Ventures Group. And we'll talk a little bit about what we're going to dive into today. But before we get to that, Michelle, thank you so much for joining me on, for us, what's a, a Friday afternoon as we head into the weekend. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. The pleasure is mine, and I'm sure the pleasure is for everybody, because let me tell you guys what you're in store for. I think you're going to walk away inspired, inspired to be brave, to take risks, to get yourself out of your comfort zone, and to try new things. And in a year like the year that we're having in the world, um, there's two ways to look at things. There's the way of, of all the challenges that lie in front of us and the challenges that we're facing inside of work. Or there's a chance to look at all of this as a silver lining and see opportunity that is that is right there in front of us. So you'll have to let me know where you ended up after listening to this podcast. Michelle, you did something in your career, a lot in your career in terms of marketing, but you did one thing in your career that really is about putting yourself out there and you were a TEDx speaker. And I want to spend some some time on that because you're a self-proclaimed very shy person, and yet you not only put yourself on stage to give a presentation, but I'd love for you to talk about really the style of a TED Talk, because it's very different from like the kind of presentations that I give, and I think a lot of us give around marketing. It's it's certainly much more of a performance. So how did that come to be, and, and what got you on the stage? <laughs> it was a long journey. It was a, a funny one, quite honestly, and one that I would not have presumed to take, nor um, would I have necessarily, uh, you know, assumed that I would end end up there. So it, it when I start started my marketing career or earlier in my marketing career, I truly believe that marketing as a service um, is something that's really important, and I carry that through in everything that I do, including how I work with salespeople. You know, if there is something that I can do that's going to help you win your business. I'm all in. Let me know how I can can help you. And so that relationship actually paid off in spades several years later when a seller that I had supported uh, was at a cocktail party in New York. I'm based in San Francisco. So this is on the other side of the country and was having a conversation with uh, somebody that I used to buy media from and was describing where I was in my career and what I was working on. And that person reached out to me several weeks after and said, hey, I hear you're doing some cool things at IBM. Would you consider posting, being a contributing writer on our um, digital marketing online magazine? And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I haven't written anything of substance since college. Yes, you know, in marketing, we do copy editing all the time. Um, We're redlining reviews and and that type of thing. But what am I going to write about? First of all, uh, I haven't written anything. And is what I have to say going to be of interest to the readers? <laughs> so you kind of get this kind of moment of, you know, do I or don't I? And I did. So I said, yes, I will do it. And I just started writing. And it was really interesting to sit down 
at that blank sheet of paper. And here are some of the ideas that I had taken for granted in my mind really become sort of poignant or appreciated um, by, by others that didn't have that same experience or perspective. And so that started to help me understand the value of the things that I took for granted in terms of skill set in my own, um, you know, kit bag uh, on a daily basis. And that parlayed into another opportunity where uh, the, the, there was a university professor who wanted to put on TEDx in his, um, in his university. And so he had read one of the blogs that I had written on yet another publication, because this is kind of a daisy chain scenario, mm -hmm. and said, hey, we don't even have our license for TEDx yet, but I read what you had written. I'm intrigued. I want to bring that to my audience. Will you consider submitting a proposal to speak at our te TEDx event? And I thought, well, goodness, I don't know about speaking. I haven't done any public speaking. And as you mentioned, I am incredibly shy. And I thought, this is not something that you say no to, is really kind of what my mind said. I was, you know, kind mm -hmm. of terrified of it, but you should do this. It may open a lot of doors. And so I submitted. There was a month lag before it was actually uh, approved, and then nine months until the performance. And I say wow. performance, which as you mentioned, it it truly is a, a performance. But between the acceptance and that performance, I pushed myself to kind of get on the conference circuit a little bit. And so I had spoken at 12 events between sort of the acceptance and uh, the TEDx. But even that was quite different because on a stage at a conference, I was going through a case study. I was intimately familiar with everything that had happened in these campaigns because I had done it. So it was, I had the slides behind me. I could take the story in any direction because I had lived it. Whereas when I was preparing for the TEDx talk, it was um, the, the, the story and the script came together relatively quickly. The delivery was really difficult because there's no mm. confidence monitor, no time, no prompts, no visuals. It was me, the red dot, five huge TV cameras, wow. <laughs> theater, and spotlights in your eye. And it was, it was daunting, but um, what an experience. And as you were telling me this, this trail to this, I literally was picturing, and I'm thinking about all of you, like, we're all we're all on this path. And so like right now, wherever you are, maybe you're literally walking on a path, walking your dog, wherever you listen to the, the podcast. But the point is, we're on this path of life. And so like, I'm going to go all the way back to when I was in college, Michelle, and I was, I worked in catering. I was, you know, one of the guys in the, the black kind of like looking outfits, serving food at weddings and bar mitzvahs and just all these events. And I would see this guy at a couple events who was the DJ. And one day I just walk over to him. I get out of my path, right? I could have just kept serving food and kept doing my normal thing, but I was on a little break while everybody was eating. And I walk over to him and I say, Hey, um, so you get to play music at these things. Like, I don't know if you're comfortable telling me, but like, how much do you make for doing a gig like this? And he goes, tonight, and this is, <clears throat> by the way, in the 80s, he goes, $650. And I just sat, like, wow, he gets to stand there and play music. And I love music. 
and to make $650 for doing it. And I'm making good money back then, like $22 an hour and then some tips. And it was good money enough, but it wasn't $650 and it wasn't standing in one place playing music and entertaining people. And the point is, Michelle, like if I hadn't walked over and asked him that question, my entire life would be different. My entire life. Because I left, I called my dad and I said, dad, I want to start DJing parties. I think I'm going to need about $2,000. If I put up a thousand of it, will you give me a thousand? I'll pay you back. And my dad being a great dad heard my passion. He's like, yeah, sure. So that DJing career led me to doing countless parties in college. And that's how I met my wife who actually hired me to DJ a party. So there's a point like how that you talk about like you weren't a writer or you hadn't written since college and you don't give a lot of presentations and you say you're shy. Although every time you show up to me, you're a very confident, smart, capable person, but maybe there's that inner voice inside of you, but you did that. Um, and, and other things led up to it. What happened from that time or be after that time in terms of what speaking at a TEDx conference did for you? I'm curious to know, like, if we think about this, so you were on a path, but you jumped off that path or leaped into something else and took risk. And now you've done this TEDx talk, which I watched, by the way. Great, great job. Thanks, what happened yeah. next? What came from that? Or how have you used that credential in the rest of your career? Yeah, I think that to your point, it it gave that confidence boost. Hey, I did it, <laughs> right? I not only is it sort of a check the box, I did a TEDx talk, which it has um, some esteem in its own right. But I got, I got over whatever inhibitions that I had in my own right. I broke the task down to something that was doable. I practiced and practiced and practiced <laughs> and uh, then overcame that, um, you know, I guess, interfere. And mm -hmm was able to say that not only I, I accomplished that goal. So it was more than just the TEDx. I think the what I had learned was just being able to to prove that to myself and be much more self-confident and take that forward and own it in other aspects of of my career. That's awesome. I think you know when people people are working right now, right? They're they're either working at a company or they're maybe not working or maybe thinking about making a, a change. And I've always said this. In fact, it's in one of our slides recently that change is chance. And we just, you know, change one of the letters to show how chance and change are just a letter apart. And I talk about that, that DJ, which for me, I try to go back to like the earliest part in my childhood that was a risk that I took and set it in motion. And then every gig after that, Michelle, like preparing for it and getting the music always felt like a per performance in doing that. And I played music and played music. So the other night I'm downtown, one of the very rare times that I can be out and about these days because they finally let, you know, outdoor eating happen. And there was this guy DJing at the restaurant. He was playing music uh, at the outdoor restaurant, which was really cool. Well, it turns out I realized through a conversation that he is friends with one of my friend's daughters. So they're, they're school friends. And so I walk up to him and I say, Hey, great job with the music tonight. My name's Dave. Didn't shake his hand. We just elbow bumped. And, uh, and I said, um, Hey, listen, I've got an amazing music collection, 120,000 songs. And 
been DJing for way too many years. If I can ever be helpful to you and teach you some of the things that I've learned over time, happy to do it. And you know what he did, Michelle? He said, I'd love to get your phone number. And he texted me three days later and said, hey, I'd love to come over and check out your gear. That's and awesome. he followed up. And to me, that was like, yeah, that this is a driven, driven kid. He came over, we set up the equipment, and we're scheduled to have me give him my terabyte of, of music. Shout out to everybody who likes music, so let me know. Um, but the reason I did that is because, A, I wanted to be helpful, but B, playing music had such a profound impact on my life, not only meeting my wife, but just doing all those events. And I think like every time, like right now, you and I are doing a podcast. If one thing comes from this podcast, hopeful, right? It would be for you and I to inspire someone to be brave and take a risk. Absolutely. And for those of you, I just got a, I just literally, as we're doing this, sitting down, got a LinkedIn navigator message from someone who's been a client of ours many times. And he's telling me that he's leaving his current company and making a move. And I always have two thoughts that go through my mind when that happens, which is, you know, is that person moving because things didn't go well? Or is that person moving because they're moving to a new opportunity? But either answer is the same because it's a new opportunity. You, um, Michelle, are VP, as I said, head of marketing for PwC New Ventures, a ginormous company and really a startup within the company. When you've moved into each of these CMO roles that you've done in the latter part of your career, how scared are you to take on that um, those roles? How has that changed over time, moving into a new environment? That's part one. And part two is, what advice do you give to someone who's maybe hasn't taken risks and taken those big leaps like you have with speaking at TED or being at the high, you know, performing at the highest level of your game in, in marketing? Yeah, absolutely. So two things that I learned on that journey, both on the writing journey as well as the conference circuit was I, I really learned to appreciate my own subject matter expertise because of it, it wasn't as my perspective, my learning is my experience wasn't as common as I had perhaps thought. So it wasn't commoditized. And so being able to come into net new leadership roles with an understanding that my skills are truly unique and valuable certainly helped me succeed in those various roles. I think really sitting down with your stakeholders and understanding what is expected is critical, especially in marketing. I mean, any role, of course, but especially in marketing, when marketing means so many different people, so many different things to so many different people and in so many different industries, is it acquisition only? Is a, are you responsible for the brand? Are you, do you have P&L responsibility? Having an understanding and a, a true clarity of purpose and objective is critical to stepping into those roles. And then being able to really understand your organization and the stakeholders and how things work before you craft your plan to move forward, it it's a balancing act. And, and I think one that the breadth of my experience, having worked at large organizations and small organizations and multiple business models and industries has prepared me for very well, especially in a role like the one that I'm in today, overseeing a portfolio of companies 
that operate in a vastly different business model within the, the uh, a, a services firm has served me very well. So I'm, I'm fortunate for that. You, you mentioned you've worked at large and small companies. Let's name a few. So uh, one, all of you know very well, uh, IBM. Uh, Michelle was there for over seven years. Um, also at Computer Associates and CA, if you guys don't know, was the first billion-dollar software company uh, ever. And by the way, I know Russ Arts quite well, Michelle. I don't know if you right. know Russ, but I've gotten to know him. <laughs> great, great guy. Very smart man. Very passionate about data these days. Uh, yes. How can you not be? It's uh... <laughs> Yeah, right. You've worked at these large companies now, once again, large company at PwC. And I'm curious the advice you have. Let, let's give advice for women for a second. And maybe it's gender neutral. I don't know. But like I said, you've risen to the top of your game, chief marketing officer in, in marketing, in the field of marketing. You're a woman, you've worked at companies, certainly back in your career that were certainly more male dominant, like IBM. I'm assuming um, back uh, in that time period, maybe more men in leadership, but we always very often see women in the chief marketing officer role. All of my early managers, by the way, when I graduated college and, and at Microsoft were all women. So I don't know if tech's a little bit different, but you know, my wife will often talk about how important it is for our girls and her experience to have her voice heard and make sure her voice is heard um, in the world and in business. And when you're on stage, literally on stage, your voice is being heard because the audience is tuned into you. Have you found that these public speaking engagements that you've done have helped you to kind of hone your voice and make sure that your voice is heard in a conference room or in a meeting? Is it, is it, you know, cross over to that? I think it's a great question. You know, I realized this was several years ago. I, I didn't necessarily see gender bias. I just, it was part of the world that I grew up in. I had some great male mentors in my career. I was very fortunate. And then one day I was looking through my LinkedIn, my contacts, and I thought, oh my gosh, there's only one for every, I don't know, handful of men. It, it just kind of jumped off the page at me. <laughs> um, so it was interesting in, in that regard. I don't know. I think I have been able in business to set aside that shyness. If I have a point of view that is that is meaningful, I haven't been shy with that opinion. So I, but I do think that the public speaking has encouraged me to to express that even more um, mm -hmm. vociferously, perhaps. You you did twelve public speaking gigs in the year before that. You did the TEDx talk. So another way for me to like kind of poke into the speaking is, does it help you develop that expertise and confidence that contributes to the success of you in a role? Because I've always said to my girls growing up, like communication is the most important skill in business. It's not math. It's not science. It's, it's, it's communication. I mean, if you, if you lack in communication skills, it will absolutely affect your career and your career success. Now, I don't know if it translates to the having to be a great public speaker, but I can't think that it hurts. And I'm curious with you, if you've seen in your career from that period where you're doing more public speaking, more success in your career, however you measure that. Uh, yes, I think absolutely. I think there are a number of ways to your point. Communication is critical in business. How do you craft a story in a presentation? Just the actual deck, right? How are you communicating visually? What is the storyline that you're crafting? How do you 
present that verbally? What are the words that you are choosing? How are you emoting your various points? And and again, cementing your own confidence in your subject matter expertise. As you become more senior in an organization, you're going to need to be able to communicate and persuade much more effectively. So if you can get some of the rote, uh, you know, presentation management skills or nerves out of the way so that you can focus on how to collaborate and communicate and persuade your peer set, it's fundamental to being able to to grow in your seniority and your career trajectory for sure. Following that, let's let's talk about social. And you have tremendous extra expertise in social business and social. And by the way, I always want to I want to say thanks for always engaging with my content on LinkedIn and where Great I am. Stuff. So thank you for Absolutely. that. Um, so the last couple of years, I've taken some risks myself. I was I'd never been a podcaster, as as everybody knows from this episode. Like, yeah, I was a DJ. I wasn't the kind of DJ I was on a microphone. Like that wasn't the kind of DJ I was. I played clubs, I played parties. And I didn't really have to say anything. I just played music and people had a good time unless I was doing a, a wedding or an event. That wasn't really my jam. I liked doing the club scene. Uh, last three years, podcast. I knew nothing about podcasting. Didn't know a framework or model. Of course, I watched some YouTube videos and tried to learn from some people, but I had to figure out what equipment to buy, how to stitch it all together, find, find platforms like the one we're using to do an interview. And by the way, thank you for having an amazing microphone. You sound great. It is, um, it was a risk and I'm like, okay, I'm going to put myself out there and all of a sudden be a podcaster and have guests and come up with a content strategy for that. And then by the time this podcast airs, just to let all of you know, and I've hinted a little bit, but it's now official, we launched our YouTube channel and I got to say, Michelle, like the podcasting stuff, they kind of feel like phone calls to me, like you and I calling each other and talking and we know each other and our teams work together. So there's a comfort level there. That is really changes when you're making YouTube videos. And because that's not my background. I've never been a streamer or a YouTuber, although my daughter's a streamer. Um, So it's cameras, it's lighting, it's content. It's a different type of engagement. And it feels, to let all of you know, a lot scarier Mm -hmm. than doing a podcast. But like you, I'm like, I have to move in this direction. I am committed to educating people about technology and marketing and marketing best practices. And the podcast is only going to get us so far, right? So we need to show people this stuff. And in putting these videos together felt very risky. It also felt like I'm the CEO of demand gen. Like by day, (laughs) that's my job. And now I have to fit into this schedule, producing these videos and, and doing the work for it. And I've been enjoying it, but it's definitely new learnings. And I would encourage all of you, like, Michelle, like, get out of your comfort zone and do something different and do something risky because you never know what path it is. And I'll be curious to see where the, the YouTube leads in terms of our business, in terms of inspiring others uh, and such. What else have you done that's, that feels courageous and different and brave in your career, either at PwC or somewhere else? That's, that's a big departure from the path that you were on. Yes. Firstly, I will acknowledge how much production your YouTube channel is going to take. <laughs> video production. I mean, I, I'm a marketer, right? So we do all kinds of videos, but usually that's somebody that I'm working with an agency. If I'm having to look over somebody's shoulder and help them edit the video to just what I want, 
I have so much appreciation for people who find passion in it because going back on one millimeter segments to edit it just perfectly. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, there's a lot to that. Um, yeah. So I actually did do a video blog series. It was not posted on YouTube. This was back in 2013 for IBM. And what I thought would be really interesting was to take, we've got these, these IBM fellows, these research, just PhD level people that are doing amazing things. And so I just started interviewing them. And again, the, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. I didn't know yeah. how to do video production. I didn't mm -hmm. know how to host an engaging conversation. And so what I did was I scripted a consistent set of questions that would then be, um, you know, just introduced to the various speakers. And they would take, they would tell fascinating stories just by going through, well, what are you working on? What are you excited for, for the future? And just taking that path. And it was a beautiful series. Um, so much fun to work on. And then, you know, taking that video and then transcribing that to text, because we all know how marketing works, right? People do consume different formats. People learn yeah. in different ways. You know, if you're on a jog, you don't have a video, but you could listen to a podcast. So it depends on your your mood, your mindset, um, what you can engage in, your personal preferences. And then, of course, you know, how can you make sure that you're getting um you know, ranked on, on Google by having those, having the transcripts available so that you can, you know, have that, that copy show up where you want it to. As I was, we just had our all hands meeting and I was giving a shout out to Justin who right now is, is listening to this in his ear, uh, editing and producing our, our podcast. So hey, shout out to you, Justin. Yeah. You, you know, I was, I was complimenting Justin for all the things that he has learned here at Demandgen that when he came, he didn't know and he's learned and done. And now he and I embarked on this journey of, of video editing and it's really rewarding to learn new stuff. Yes. And that's, that's fun of it itself. Even if let's say you did or didn't crush your TEDx talk, the learning itself mm -hmm. was invaluable to you. If the byproduct of you know, delivering the message to the audience inspired or moved someone to have that impact, phenomenal, because I'm sure that was your goal. But there is that intrinsic reward that comes from learning something and doing something new and even sometimes failing and failing forward. So I, I hope, like, I know that there's a large portion of everybody tuning in right now that there's something right now you're thinking about, should you do? Maybe it's personal life, maybe it's work life. And I would just gauge, like, do a temperature check and see if you're more interested or less interested in doing it. And if you're more interested in doing it, go freaking do it. Because your body is telling you, your mind is telling you that there's something down here, this path. But as soon as you start to do that, and it's different than what you're used to, you're going to start talking yourself out of it. Yes. It, you know, <laughs> I, it's like, I shouldn't do this. I don't have time. I'm going to be in a new job at that point. You know, you can find all these different reasons not to do it. It was easy for me to, if I wanted to talk myself out of starting the YouTube channel with the team and doing that, because there's no possible way I have the time to do this. You have to fit it in and you have to give up something else to do it. I could have easily talked myself. I remember going down the path and Justin, you remember this, you're still listening. Um, I called him up one day and I go, you know what? This is just technically too hard for us. This is just to be able to make these videos and almost produce them in real time. It's just too much work. And we were having technical difficulties with guests and their video cams. And and Justin, you were the one 
that was like, no, 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 we're, we're not giving up. We're just figuring this out. And we did. And, and, and here, here we are. I want to talk about PwC for a moment in terms of the new ventures business there. You know, when you and I started talking about you joining there and the role there, um, you're launching something brand new within PwC. When people take and go down paths, like YouTube is not new. It wasn't new for me. I'm new to YouTube. When you've put yourself in careers, when you're in something new, is that where someone should go? Should they go to a startup? Should they go to something that hasn't been done before? Any thoughts you have about in terms of risk-taking? Is the risk because I'm in a new thing, a new area, or is the risk because this has never been done before? Any thoughts on that? Yes, I do have thoughts on that. I, I think that it's important to have diverse diversity of experience. And that's why I think diversity matters so much is having and understanding different ways of thinking, different ways of doing, um, impacts that are outside of your own purview. It's why we are customer centric, right? When we think about our marketing strategies, it's not about us. It's about our customer and how, um, how we make them feel. And so about being bold in, in one's career, I think that there are opportunities where you can be bold with a little bit of safety, right? Is there something that's adjacent that you can bring some level of expertise while learning something drastically new? Um, And that is a wonderful way to gain new experience and gain new perspective and career depth is if you're coming from a place of leverage in one area or aspect in the role and a place of learning in another aspect uh, of the role. It's important as well to to scope that carefully, right? And make sure that you are in a, a position where you can succeed and the expectations are aligned. Um, but that balance, I think, is important. And one that has served me certainly well in my career because I've been able to, especially in this role, pull together my various experiences from different roles, again, big companies and small companies, and then figure out how to mash that together, kind of a mashup of the enterprise slash startup and how we go to market in a way that really is purpose-built for both mindsets. Because if somebody was startup only, they wouldn't have been able to work within the large structure that we have, the the large organization that we have. Um, But if somebody was, say, enterprise only, they wouldn't know what agility is necessary to take these incubated businesses to to market. So, you know, again, I think it really does come down to diversity of experience um, can really pay dividends and, and make you a good fit for something that could be a dream job in the future. So if you're learning and growing and um, in in each of your roles, that's, that's, what's going to help you in the long term. Yeah. I I felt like the, the bigger the risk, the more reward you get from it. Like there's, there's an, there's an inverse portion to it. So if it's a huge risk and the reward you get for it, I've certainly had great learnings too from, a failed campaign or any kind of failure and the learnings that come from that are, are tremendous. What does success feel like to you? And maybe that's changed over time, but how do you know, Michelle, when you're successful, what is, what's your mind or body telling you? What does that feel like? 
I think physically, you know, you're on a winning streak when you kind of get to get goosebumps or, oh my gosh, we did it, or we've succeeded, or there's appreciation or recognition for what we were able to, to achieve. I think that's true of anything, right? If you, um, you know, if you're in sports and yeah, <laughs> you just scored a goal or whatever that might be, you, you get this, this kind of rush. And I think that the same is true, um, in, in business and it can happen at different levels. I remember, you know, again, we were building everything from the ground up when I stood up our first landing page, <laughs> you know, I've done, I've done, you know, global campaigns that are orchestrated with multi analytic systems translated into 17 languages and stood up simultaneously, you know, but when I got this first landing page live here, I was <laughs> over the moon and it was just, uh, you know, it was, it was funny, but it was that winning moment. So I think that it comes in in different sizes, you know, those different milestones that you're reaching. Now, of course, the the, the goalpost is much higher uh, mm-hmm. as we've been in market for, for a while. But um, but yeah, let's talk about the goalpost being higher. I, I've had a great speaker once we we pulled a marketing leadership exchange together and I invited him to come speak. I wish you were there, by the way. I wish we could do another one. I miss having these. They're great. And he talked about people who go through this life. There's like two different type of people. He was saying there's those that have goals and they go and accomplish their goal. And there are those people who kind of are more like navigation. They're on a journey, but the journey is the journey. It's not the destination. And so look at someone like Michael Jordan. I don't know if you watched The Last Dance while we're all binging at home, but I did watch that on ESPN. And I'm like, wow, Michael Jordan was probably the most competitive person watching that documentary that I've run across, you know, that I've seen. I mean, not that I ran across him, but I, the content was like, it wasn't just winning a championship. It, then it was two, then it was three, it was four or five, eventually six championships with the Chicago Bulls, right? Why not stop at three or four or five? And then what I, what I thought about, especially the speaker said, is as soon as you accomplish something, if you're this goal-oriented person, then as soon as you accomplish something, you have to set another goal and a higher goal to feel another sense of accomplishment. It's almost like this addictive type thing. And I, can, I think that sometimes that's dangerous because we never take time to really smell the roses because you know the gold medalist walks off the stage at the Olympics and it's like, now what? Now right. what do I do? Yeah. And you feel defeated at the same time that you're succeeding. So if if you always have to have another major goal and the bar keeps going up, then ask yourself, are you really succeeding or is there a direction that you're in? My direction these days is to help people like you, help all of our clients be marketing heroes, be successful in their endeavors and make a contribution to the business and feel good about that. That elated smile, which I could I could feel from you with that landing page going up, is is a victory, even though it was smaller than other initiatives that you had done. It represented something else for PwC because it was a launch of something really totally new. Um, think about the the youth today, the people that are just starting on their careers early, early on. What advice were you have for them in terms of taking risk within their roles? You you lead the entire marketing organization right there, right? You have a diverse set of people. That are there. I'm. I'm always suggesting and uh, coaching, especially the youth in business today, about making sure their voice is heard and taking risk and taking initiative, not just waiting to be told to do. What it, What advice do you have for folks? 
Yeah, absolutely. Take the initiative. I've been having some conversations with some former colleagues of mine whose kids are just graduating, right, in the midst of the pandemic and trying to figure out, well, now what? You know, people are not hiring, um, let alone entry-level roles. So how can I get experience so that I'm, you know, it's not several years down the road and I'm don't have I don't have any work experience. And I think you just need to be proactive and you just need to take some action and don't and and I think that this is, you know, we've been talking about this throughout our conversation, but don't get in your own way. Just Mm -hmm. do it. You know, take a first step, take an action. Don't dissuade yourself. Oh, but I'm only, you know, I just graduated and just do something. There are opportunities to volunteer in organizations. When you do that, you're going to create uh, an affinity network of people that you're working with that might be able to help you in the future. You're going to be able to learn skills that you'll be able to put on your resume. And if you have that you know, service-oriented mindset, it's karma, I guess, is the best way to talk about it. If you put good mm-hmm. out into the world, it's going to come back to you and people are going to remember that you helped them out. And that is something that is true, whether you're in college and first starting out or you were like me, a marketing manager, um, say six to eight years into your career and just being proactively supportive, going above and beyond with the salespeople that you are working with. Mm-hmm. Um, it pays dividends. So take the initiative. I think, you know, if you can help your team members out, if you can help your boss out, if you can just go beyond your job description, that's going to, it's going to advance your career. I think those that I've been able to coach and mentor over the years, I'm still in touch with them, right? They're, they're still reaching out to me. I will take a a mentorship call, even though we haven't worked together in 10 years. And it's, it's important to do that. I mean, people want to help people who are helpful. And so, yeah, take the initiative and, and take that first step. It's, it is so true. Um, as you're, you're talking about, I look back and first company I worked for in tech while I was in college was a company called Haba Systems and HABA. They were one of the very first Macintosh developers. And in fact, I just had Guy Kawasaki on the podcast and failed to ask him if he remembered them. But I was you know young, like 19 years old, and I worked in their tech support department and I was helping people with you know, people having database issues. And I, when, when new disc needed to go out to someone, Michelle, we, I'd walk over to the shipping department with a little label and hand it to them and say, you need to send this person a new disc. They had, you know, problem with their disc. And then I'd watch the person like, you know, hand type a label for the person to ship it. And I'm like, that person's in our database because they bought the software from us. So why does he not have a way to look that up? Long story short, I went home on an Apple IIc. I don't know if you remember those. There's little white kind of laptopy looking things, but they weren't laptops. They were just small form factors. Um, yeah. And I wrote this software to do this shipping system for the company. It wasn't in my job description, but I was accomplishing three things by doing that. One was I was showing management that I will work outside my job description and make contributions without waiting for someone to ask me for it. Number two was, at that time, I was studying business and computer science. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to write a piece of software and develop my expertise uh, in that area. And then the third was, you know, just taking risk and and either having management go, 
why did you write this? We have no interest in this at all. And, and in fact, they used it for years. And, you know, was the, the owner was surprised. It's like, well, why don't we turn this into a real product and ship it? And I'm like, well, it, it's a long way from that, but it serves our needs really, really well. And I kind of was that person throughout my career. When I was at Fairlawn, I built some software to help design networking stuff because we were in the networking business. And it was those that work that I did that showed my management what I knew outside of my job description to help advance my career. So I fully support what Michelle is saying. It's like, take initiative in your role. Don't wait for your, your manager to ask. Find things that would help the company be successful or your department or someone else and just do it. And I would, yeah, I would posit that you did two other things that you didn't mention. First of all, you helped the shipping person out because they mm-hmm. were hand typing everything. So you made their job easier and more efficient. So you made a friend, right? Yeah. <laughs> and who knows how, how, how those dividends, but you learned. You sat yeah. down to code the the software. So, you know, even if management hadn't given you the opportunity, you 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 sat down and, and put your skills to, to use in solving a, a business problem with with your computer skills. Very true. And and I hope I hope just everybody take note. Find something inside your organization, inside your department, or inside your family or a friend for that matter, and take a new initiative. You can volunteer for something and that can set a different path in motion in your life and career. Um, you just have to get out of your comfort zone. That, that's really, for Michelle and I, when we talk, it's breaking that pattern and taking on risk, whether it's you, Michelle, going to a big established company and building a whole new line of business and bringing that to market or going out and doing a TED Talk or you're moving and from one company to another small company, big company, and just trying those, those different things. And I think we sometimes get so afraid of taking chance. And you know what, if you've learned something this year, we all have, you know, it really matters, your health, your family, your relationships, your experiences, everything else is just kind of surrounding that. So do some initiative at work or in home and follow in Michelle's footsteps. Would you ever do, do a, a TED talk again? Or is that, is that a one-time event for you? I would do a TED Talk again. I absolutely would. Uh, you know, I can't believe it's been five years since I did that last TED Talk. And it was funny because on the time horizon, you just watched it recently. So the time horizon was now, <laughs> right? Yeah, so it was, it was delivered in 2015. And I was, you know, kind of talking about some of the things that we would have in 2020. And some of those have come to fruition. Some of those have not Um namely 5G, but um, hopefully soon, soon enough. But yes, absolutely. Yeah. I would give um, take some time to deliver another TED Talk. It was an amazing experience. And not even for the learning journey that I went on, but to make the connections with the other presenters who were from all walks of life, quite honestly, and their inspiring stories and have the conversations with um, well, in this case, primarily students, although not entirely student-based audience. But it was just so inspiring and gratifying to have those connections on a on a different level. Um, so, yeah, love it. Well, there's one other takeaway for you guys on this podcast, and that's to connect with Michelle. You can tell she's very open to new connections. Michelle Killebrew, K I L L E. B-R-E-W. Love to know the root of that name because it doesn't, not a name I've ever run across before, (laughs) Michelle, but make sure you connect with her on LinkedIn. Feel free to connect with me if you haven't already. 
I'm always looking to connect with new people and help you advance your career, work together, whether that's me or my team. And just take some initiative, try something different. Our company's theme this month, we have a different theme every month, is around expertise. And we just got off our all-hands call earlier today, and we're celebrating people like uh, Justin, who has learned so many new things here in our marketing department, and folks like Luis, who have gone out and got their like highest credentials in terms of Salesforce certification, and you know, fifty-two other people in the company have gotten certifications. Michelle, and and this is just people getting out of their comfort zone and learning new things and doing. We're in the service business, and so if we're not, you know, doing our best and learning and helping to support others, then you know, we're we're falling behind. So <laughs> we we got to got to charge forward. Indeed. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for the partnership. Thanks for our teams working together. I'm really proud of everything that you guys are doing there inside of a big company. Lots of exciting changes going on there as well. And um, when this uh, when this cloud lifts over us, our ability to get together, let's let's form another marketing leadership exchange and get a bunch of our clients together, folks like you. Um, to share more ideas with one another. The podcast is really great, but we don't get to interact with all of you. And I got to tell you guys, I I miss it. I miss seeing everybody face-to-face and I look forward to that. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.